Let's, uh, let's begin with a prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, right now Mr. Kushel is on, uh, uh, rather in, in or on the way to Tennessee with a group of young people um, at the uh, International Youth Rally. We thank you for this opportunity that they have to go. I went myself as a young man and we pray that you would uh, uh, bless their time there and bring them home safely to us so that he can continue to consider and we pray return his call and remain among us. And all of these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get right to it. Matthew 9, 14 and following. John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So fasting, of course, is the physical and spiritual act of uh, not eating and not drinking anything but water during daylight hours. And it was required in the Old Testament and really in the New Testament um, uh, for Jews uh, only once on the Day of Atonement, which is in September every year, just one day. Um, The Pharisees added quite a bit to that rule and they ended up thinking that twice a week would be a pretty cool idea. I'm not really sure about why you would do that, but they did. Um, I, I, I have a quote here from the early Christian document called the Didache, which looks as if it's spelled the Didache, as if it rhymes with headache, but it's pronounced Didache, which is the acts of the, or the teaching of the apostles, rather. And it says, do not fast with hypocrites. If they fast on Mondays and Thursdays, then fast on Wednesday and Friday. So that was, I don't know, they were talking about fasting fellowship in those days. Uh, So uh, the hypocrites that are meant in the Didache are the Pharisees. So it seems like they did fast on Monday and Thursday. Yes? Didache, 140 AD. So a generation after the Apostle John or so. And the Pharisees were still fasting about that time. Although I've heard people say that the Pharisees basically end in about the year 70. Um, But that's all the other Jewish sects. Really, modern Judaism is a descendant of Pharisaism. It was the only one to survive um, in bits and pieces here and there. But so evidently their fasting habits remained Monday and Thursday. They probably wouldn't want to fast on Friday because that's the the Sabbath, and they would have a big meal. Um, So don't do that. But then the Christians said, if you're going to fast, fast on Wednesday and Friday, and that seems to me to be a little bit pietistic. Why fast at all? And that's what Jesus is going to get to here. I I, I should ask, um, apart from uh, a medical thing where you decide or, or, or are asked by your doctor to fast, which is my least favorite pre-medical procedure is to fast for usually 12 hours, but sometimes more. Anybody fast for any other reason in here?
this guy is. Mm -hmm. Well, I've heard that too. And the energy probably comes from your own body, from probably, yeah. burning up your own fat yeah. and so forth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exercise, moderate exercise, that, that's good for you up until about 40 days. 40 days. Yeah. I'll see you at the end of July. <laughs> but you won't see me anymore. Anybody else? Thank you for sharing that. I've fasted until like 40 hours. Yeah? Yeah. Was that out of necessity or, be, I mean, just because you were poor or uh, something else like that? Okay. Weight loss? Yeah, gained it. Well, it's, uh, it's, diff it's tempting. You know, if you're, if you're trying, it's tempting. And the part of the issue, I think, with many is if you're, if you're still working regularly, you've got to keep up your energy somehow and... Those, uh, boy, day three has got to be a bear um, if you can get through that, you know. But, uh, okay. Um, I was going to say something about the Arctic diet when you mentioned that, but let's not go there today. A, a, a diet of pure butter, milk, sugar, flour, and one other thing. Um... Not in any form, just consumed like that to keep up energy and be light enough that you can pack it in your pack as you're climbing the highest mountains in the most extreme conditions. Of course, the guy who invented that died doing it. Yeah, climbing, uh, I think, Denali, what they used to call Mount McKinley. Yeah. No, I shouldn't have mentioned that because he didn't, didn't pan out. So, okay, let's go on. So, uh, we and the Pharisees fast, but you disciples do not fast. So John's disciples were fasting. The Pharisees were fasting, but Jesus and his disciples didn't. And Jesus answers, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. So while I'm here, we're... We're celebrating because the Messiah is here. And so none of that fasting is, is in place now while I'm here. Um, and then uh, Jesus will essentially, uh, is essentially telling them, when I go, however, there will be a time to fast and therefore to grieve um, and so forth. And then he comes to these analogies of the unshrunk cloth and the new wineskins. There's, there's one other thing about the didache here which says, I've got in your top paragraph in the notes, which is in that first one. Before baptism, the baptizer and the one being baptized should fast along with any others who can. Um, that is the beginning of, the, of, the, of what became the tradition um, that we still use today. Because in the earliest days of the church, of course, people were baptized just because they came to hear John preach, Right? That's, that's when they were baptized. And then a little bit later, after the time of, uh, after Jesus' ascension, you've got Paul, Peter, um, Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, baptizing people just as they heard the gospel on the spot. And then 
Presumably, then after the adults were baptized, then their children would be baptized, but as the children were born. Um, we're having, I'm having that discussion in a, in a back and forth with a member right now about where that comes from. Um, and then um, uh, around the time of Nero and, his, and the maniac who followed him, um, uh, 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 Caligula, uh, Christians began to be persecuted and one way that it was done was by infiltrating the congregations with people pretending they wanted to become Christians and get baptized. Then they would go and kind of take names at the Christians. Because Judaism was allowed, but Christianity wasn't. They had to figure out who are Jews and who are not. And if all you have are Old Testament scriptures, you can't tell by the, you know, by the bulletin on Sunday morning, as it were. You've got to tell by what they do otherwise. And so after this had begun to happen, the Christians began to fall to a new system. And they decided to have baptisms only one day a year. Do you know that day? It's the Saturday before Easter. So you had Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and then the Saturday night was, that Saturday night was the year, the, the time when they would do all of the baptisms for the year. It would be like us doing confirmation on one day of the year, which we do. But they did them all on the Saturday of, of, of Easter at a vigil. Um, once in a while, we've had an Easter vigil here at St. Paul's where we have a nighttime service, not quite midnight, but late on Easter, the night before Easter for just prayers and hymns and so forth. But wow, there's a liturgical piece for the Easter vigil that tests a pastor's manhood because you have to hold this gigantic candle. It's like three feet tall and this big around. And you hold it with one hand above the font, the baptismal font. Can you imagine that? For a whole liturgy where then you've got to bring it down in the water and then lift it back up again. Can you imagine? I've got a sledgehammer in my, in my, in my garage that I think weighs 10 pounds. That candle's heavier than that sledgehammer. And to hold that like this with the gown on and everything for long minutes while I'm speaking, you know, doing public speaking, it's, it, it tests the arm strength after a while. Um, but I uh, felt like calling up Aaron and, uh, and uh, her to hold up the prophet's arm, you know, like, please. And, uh, but uh, so... Um, so anyway, that, 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 but that, that same system, though, is how we arrived at having godparents. Because that was also an issue then. You would, the, 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 the person who's called the catechumen would come through classes all year, and then in order to be baptized, they would have to have a sponsor say, I've been with him all year, I'll vouch for him, he really is a Christian, we'll let, let, he can be baptized now. And the, the, that, that sponsor or godparent would be responsible for that person and the safety of the congregation. But that's where the idea of sponsors or godparents came from. Question? No, just, you can, you can, you can scratch an itch, that's okay. Just not in my class. Okay. <laughs> Jesus says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment making the tear worse. There's a second side to this, but I just want to share an anecdote. Uh, a few years ago, uh, uh, I think it was a newlywed uh, 
came up to me and said, Pastor, where's that verse about how to put a patch on cloth? Because she said, I, I keep doing it the way that I remember the verse, but it keeps tearing away. I'm like, well, it was telling you what not to do. Not what, you know, but, uh, well, anyway. Oh, well. It's, remembering the words but not the context can be dangerous sometimes about a past. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Um, so, uh, in ancient times and not so ancient times, it was pretty common to use either a stomach or a bladder for wine skins and water skins. A bladder especially for water skins because um, it stretches and it'll hold all kinds of stuff because your bladder is made of what? Simple squamous epithelial tissue. You don't remember your biology? From back when? Okay, anyway. Uh, it, but it's, that's the kind of tissue that stretches not just one way, but always. You know, so, you're, the, it, it'll, it, so it stretches like a balloon. Um, and then if you tie off the, uh, the various entries and exits of the bladder, except one, you tie a special one on there that has a ring in it, so you can put in a stopper or a cork or something, then it's a perfect water bottle. That's, that's the idea. With a stomach also designed to hold liquid, right, and not, not spill, do the same thing. And they use that often for um, carrying, could be, uh, uh, it might be wine or it might be milk or something as well. In fact, uh, there are some who think that that's how cheese was discovered by, uh, uh, I don't know which stomach it is in a cow, I think it's the third that has, is it tannin? Maybe, maybe it's the omycin. That, uh, anyway, it curdles the milk into cheese in the process. And they think that what somebody did was they had like uh, uh, one of those stomach wines or skins full of milk and then they took a trip somewhere. And then when they got there, it was solid. And what stuns me is that someone actually tried it. Like, well, let's eat it, you know. Although I had, you know, when I was a kid, I had friends who probably for money would have, you know, eaten anything, so. Um, uh, so with wineskins, if you, as wine ferments, if you, um, you, if you try to reuse that wineskin with new wine, it won't stretch again. So it'll explode and it'll ruin and so forth. So, uh, so Jesus is saying the the old, that is the Pharisees' doctrine, can't be fixed or patched. It's got to it's go. The whole thing's got to go. So in order, for the, in order for this to work, we have to just get rid of the, what the Pharisees were teaching. Thank you. Fourth stomach. Okay. Actually, if I were cutting open a cow, I wouldn't know how to identify the fourth. Although I suppose it's the one closest to the small intestine. Right? So, okay. We already talked about fasting. Oh, actually, one thing from Luther about fasting. Do any of you remember, like, like maybe your grandparents fasting before communion? Um, Luther says, this is fourthly of baptism, 
I'm sorry, of Lord's Supper in the Catechism. Fasting and other outward preparations may serve a good purpose, but he is properly prepared who believes these words, given and poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. But whoever does not believe these words or doubts them is not prepared because the words for you require nothing but hearts that believe. Remember, uh, uh, there was a, a kind of an uproar here a few years ago over an article in the, what's the magazine called for the Wells now? Um, Forward, Forward in Christ, right? Um, and what had happened was somebody had written an article about preparing for communion and uh, he wrote about things like make sure your shoes are shined up as well as they can and stuff like that and, and uh, like, you know, the, the outward pre- and then this got quoted. You know, that, that, that kind of stuff can be good but what really counts is understanding what it is that you receive. Faith is what receives. Um, so... Not in the least. Not in the least. Uh, All right. Dead girl, sick woman. While Jesus was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died. Come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. The other two Gospels that have this story say that she was at the point of death, not that she had just died. And um, it may be that Matthew is just contracting the story a little bit, but I will point out that the Greek word in our text here is um, uh, eteloitesen, which in, for example, Hebrews 11, gets translated when death was near. When uh, in, the, in the list of heroes of faith, um, the writer says, by faith Joseph, when his death was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites and so forth. So it, it doesn't, that word doesn't necessarily mean, or have to mean, had just died. It could mean when death was certain or inevitable or just about there. That's um, called an aoristic, or I'm uh, sorry, uh, uh, um, telic aorist or something along those lines, but factative aorist maybe. But it could be, again, that Matthew was just contracting the story a little bit. But Jesus gets up and goes. The daughter is sick. Do you remember there, there are five people in the Bible who, um, apart from Christ rising from the dead himself and the graves that opened at the resurrection and people walked around at that time, apart from that, five people raise others from the dead in the Bible. Two prophets, Jesus and two apostles. Do you remember who the two prophets were? Elijah and Elisha. Exactly, very good. So one was the son of the widow at Zarephath, and then the other one was the son of the Shunammite woman who comes in from the field saying, my head, my head, or something like that, and he dies and raises him from the dead. And then Jesus raises three people. This is the first one. This is the first resurrection miracle in the New Testament. Um, And this is the daughter of Jairus. That's the ruler's name. Who are the other two that Jesus does? Yeah, the youth at Nain that uh, actually um, uh, uh, Mr. Balgi preached on a couple weeks ago when Philip Balgi, our seminarian, came and preached. And then the other one, of course, Lazarus. And then the two apostles, Paul and Peter. Yeah, 
Peter raised a, a woman who was helping the congregation with a lot of sewing projects, Dorcas or Tabitha, also called, and then which I think means gazelle. And then uh, 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 Paul raised Eutychus, the guy who fell asleep during the sermon. I thought about that last night. Uh, we didn't have anyone to do slides, so I did slides. And as you're up in the balcony, um, your chair is right next to a hole that vanishes down the wall as you're up there doing slides because there's a stained glass window right behind you. And I thought, if I nod off during the sermon, I'm a dead man. You know, I'm just, I'll, I'll go right over and it'll be Eutychus all over again. Um, but I actually don't think I'd fit, but. Uh. So there's your picture. There's pastor's legs wriggling on, you know, as he's fallen halfway down the hole of the, of the stained glass window. So anyway, Jesus gets up and, and goes with his disciples. And just then, as Jesus turns, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Can we talk about the edge of the cloak first? So um, men in the Old Testament, I, I should have gotten up the Deuteronomy passage, but they were required to tie tassels on the corners of their, of their cloak or, or, or outer robe thing um, just as a reminder of, of, of what they were and who they were and so forth. Jesus probably had the money. As I'm sure his mom made him the cloak and he wore them like a good boy. And, but when you would, I'm told that when they would kind of in the daylight throw, that, throw the, the hood back, as it were, you'd have tassels hanging out the back. So as, you're bound, as those are bouncing along as you're walking, it might have been easy for this woman to grab either the hem of his flowing kind of cape or the tassel as he was going. So that's probably what we're talking about is the tassel. Um, but then this uh, subject to bleeding for 12 years. Anybody squeamish? No? Okay. Not, not much. Well, I've met a lot of men who always assumed that she had a cut or something that just wouldn't heal. Ladies, what do you think about that? Thank you, Marcia, for laughing. Yeah, probably not. Um, for one thing, a cut that wouldn't heal would lead to infections and gangrene and stuff like that. This is probably um, uh, chronic menorrhagia, that is a menstrual flow of blood that won't stop. And uh, I know that... Um, I, I, I don't mind telling you that my wife kept track of her menstrual cycle on a calendar in the bathroom, our whole marriage. So my sons, who had no idea what the X's meant and stuff like that, would sometimes ask, like, Daddy, how come it says spotting on Wednesday? <laughs> well, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, things like that. And, uh, but that's, that's what this uh, uh, chronic... Um, uh, this chronic hemorrhage or menharagia is, is uh, menstrual bleeding that doesn't quit. And uh, I know about this a little bit in, in, in some detail from two life experiences. My first stepmother, so the first woman my dad married after my mom died, had this. And she had it to such a degree that this is in the, in the early 1980s. She ended up on the Phil Donahue TV show. Seriously. And they had, she had the videotape copy of the, of the program. So that was one of the things, when I, when I met my dad's girlfriend, we had to watch the Donahue show about her medical condition. Like, oh, great, okay. Um, so we did that, and 
And, uh, but that was pretty cool because that was just taped in Chicago and it was nearby to where we were and everything. So, um, then when I was serving as a vicar in Milwaukee, we, had, we were an inner city church and we had a lot of members who were um, drug addicts or homeless. And we ran a soup kitchen called uh, Grace Oasis that met on Friday nights and from like five in the, in the afternoon until about 10 or 11 at night. We usually would close up around 10 or try to. But anybody who wanted to could come and they'd have a meal. Um, they could get coffee all night, water, Kool-Aid, whatever. Kids could come and play. There was, we usually showed a movie and it wasn't always a religious movie, just a video. You know, early 80s, it's just, you know, something to do. And there were games and um, especially popular was checkers and um, uh, backgammon among the people that we had coming. And then there would be a devotion um, about usually recovery from alcoholism or drug addiction or something like that. And then it was just a kind of a, just a big open uh, church basement kind of a thing. And at one of those, um, uh, I didn't go to all of them, but I went to quite a few. Uh, oh, they would be singing too, because Pastor Phil Merton was part of that congregation. I don't know if any of you know that name, but he's, he's really good with the guitar and one of, the, one, of the, one of the guys on the cutting edge of let's try out contemporary music in the wells in the, in the 80s and, and so forth. Anyway, um, a woman came to me at one of these Grace Oasis meetings and she said, Vicar, um, really liked your sermon on Sunday. I think I've got one that'll stump you though. I, I don't know if God even will understand this, but I have um, a menstrual flow that doesn't stop. And I, and I thought, oh, that's in the Bible. And I said that. And she said, no. She had no idea. And then, do you know, uh, some of you know the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? When Indiana Jones wants to show somebody a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, he takes this gigantic ancient 15th century Bible and he just opens it and it falls open to a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. That's what happened. I, I said, that's in the Bible. I grabbed a Bible off the table, opened it up, and it fell open to Mark's version of this story, which just stunned her. She's like, no. She, and, and at that moment, she thought that I was divinely inspired because I knew her ailment, and I knew where to find it, and I found it instantly. Um, and the thing was, her brother is a pastor in our synod. She had been too afraid to talk to him about it. And so she had never found out that there, this was even in three of the Gospels. And, uh, but I, we prayed about it. Actually, she recovered later that year. Um, she got help at, at the, the, the amazing hospital that's there in Milwaukee. But So quite an interesting uh, moment there in my vicar year. Um, so she had said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I'll be healed. And finally, that's what saved her. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. She's actually saved by the grace of God, by the power of Jesus, right? But he says, but you believed in me. Your faith has saved you. Um, and the woman was healed from that moment. I mean, if a person is bleeding all the time, uh, you know, they're going to be thirsty all the time because blood loss causes immediate thirst and so forth and just weakness and 
anemia, headaches and all kinds of other issues and so forth. But she's healed right away. Um, uh, as I said, Matthew has contracted this down uh, and kind of driven out some of the details. Like, for example, in Mark, uh, Jesus asks, who was it who touched me and so forth? You don't get that detail. But one detail we did see is that how long had she had this condition? 12 years. And how old was the daughter of the ruler that we're still on the way to go see? She was also 12. So if you kind of do the math, around the time that Jesus was how old? 20? This girl was born who was just dying and this woman started her physical problem at the same time. This, I don't know if there's any other significance to that, but it's interesting, at least to me. And I, I don't know what to do with that. You know, but just, they're both here at the same moment. Well, Jesus continues his trip. He enters the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd. He said, go away, the girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. Can I just tell you, um, growing up, my brother and I both, both played cornet and my sister played flute. I can't believe we never hauled out this verse to say, Jesus said to the flute players, go away. You know, we... My, my, I'm, I'm surprised my, that we never said that. But. Seriously? The, from, this, from this very verse? Okay. Was it that, was it, was it that deadbeat Mike? No, it was not Mike. Oh, okay, all right. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Well, nobody heard that, so for the record, it was that deadbeat Mike. So I'm just... <laughs> well, he, it's, on, it's on the internet, so he'll find out. And they laughed. Flute players in the Bible are, are um, often associated with uh, weddings as well as funerals. Um, so I suppose it depends on the kind, you know, on what we're talking about. Although, um, I've heard harps at funerals and weddings, pianos at funerals and weddings, guitars at funerals and weddings. So it depends on the music, not necessarily the instrumentation. Um, but after the crowd had been put outside, he went and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. And news of this spread through all that region. I think that would have spread very, very quickly. The prophet has come and raised the dead. Flute players, I want to go back to that idea, though, just for a second. Much of my younger life, I was critical of the people in the Bible who hired professional mourners, you know, like, it, it always seemed like that was going too far to me, paying for people to know that you had a death in the family, until I realized we do the same thing. Not, not, not the professional mourners, but we pay to let people know that we had a death in the family. How do we do it? Newspaper ad. Yeah. So, it's, it's sometimes that'll be free if it's only local and like in the shopper or whatever or something. But if you decide to publish that in some other newspaper, you pay for that. So we kind of do, we do something similar. We're not all that different um, to let people know, you know, to publish the news. Well... Yeah, well, I mean, it was, it was part of it. It was, I'm just saying that it was part of it to let people know. 
but uh, but yeah, to to but to pay to have somebody else do your crying for you is. It depends on the person, I suppose. Yeah. A bad, a bad flute player. In all of my life, I've never met a bad flute player. They have always been the most accomplished musicians in the whole band. I'll have to think about that. I've, I've never met a bad flute player. Okay. God bless you. Thank you for letting me do this. See you next time. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.